Today um, we're going to be starting a new series uh, and I get the privilege of being the first one to do this. We have a, a pastoral staff, about four, that teach on Sunday morning on the stage. We usually try and get a completely different perspective of uh, a similar topic that we try and uh, get together. And uh, next week, Phil and I will be actually going to India. <clears throat> on a, you, many of you have actually met uh, Pastor William and Hipsabah uh, from uh, India who have started a church over there. And this is their 30th anniversary. It's actually our 30th anniversary this year too. And so Phil and I are going to be going over there <clears throat> to eat copious amounts of curry <clears throat> and then regret it the day after. <clears throat> um, but um, we're, we're, we're privileged to go over there and we're excited to be there. They have about 125 churches over that they've now planted and uh, it's just been growing and growing and growing and we get to be a part of that. And believe it or not, whether you know it or not, um, any money that you give to Northwest, we give a percentage to many different entities, charities, uh, missionaries, etc. And a portion of your money actually goes to supporting the work in India. So thank you to you for how you actually give generously to this church. About a year and a half ago, Crystal and I decided to go look for another house. Let me correct that. About a year and a half ago, my wife decided to go look for another house and I tagged along with her. And um, we were in our, our original house that we had bought together um, for about 13 years and it was a piece of junk. We bought it when we had really had no money and, and uh, we bought it you know, in the height of the market and that was all we could afford and it was a junky house. It was really bad. It truly was one of those chip gains fixer-uppers, right? That was us. We just didn't do as good of a job as they would have done. Um, <clears throat> but um, we, we were there for about 13 years and, my, my, and, and we, so we, we really believed it was time to actually move to a different house. We wanted something bigger. We wanted something better. I wanted something a little bit nicer as well. And, um, <clears throat> and, and, and so looking for other houses, we, had, we actually spent about a year looking for other houses. And we went from house to house and place to place. And we noticed that there was a difference between a certain style of house compared to a certain other type of house. And it wasn't really their style, and it wasn't really the paintwork, and it wasn't really the location, it wasn't the geography, it wasn't even the, the wealth of the house. It wasn't because it was a big house or a small house, but there was a difference between certain houses compared to other houses. And it's simply this. We could tell the difference between a house that was welcoming compared to another house that had no welcome whatsoever. And like I say, it wasn't based on... Um, the, the value of the house or the geography of the house. You could literally have an amazing house in a very expensive neighborhood with some really, really nice accoutrements, etc. Uh, and you would literally drive up to it or walk up to it and you could just feel, I'm not welcome here. In fact, there was one particular house that when we walked in, we asked ourselves the question, where would people go? Where would our friends, if we invited people over, where would they sit, where would they go? That the house just wasn't designed to bring anybody over. In fact, they even had like a tower that went up a little spiral staircase and had a tower and they had made that tower into a gymnasium for one person. And I'm thinking, what would we do with this? What, what would we do with this, this one room that's only built for one person? It was kind of strange. And yet you could go into other houses and when you walked in, you're like, oh, I feel welcome here. I feel like I'm meant to be here, like they want me to be in this house. And as I was thinking about it, I really noticed that massive difference. And what I discovered was that a spirit of welcoming is a lot like a spirit of generosity. An attitude of welcoming is a lot like an attitude of generosity. 
It's just something that suffuses everything that you do. Everything that you touch, everything you build, everything that you create becomes generous around you simply because it's in you. And as I was going through this, I started studying this new series this month about talking about what it is to be generous. I discovered that I believe is a difference between what it is to give versus what it is to be generous. Because oftentimes, I believe that we can feel like we're very giving people, we're very generous people because we give. But just because you give doesn't actually mean you're that generous. Have you ever even heard of, have you ever gone to a charity uh, uh, auction or, or a charity kind of dinner or something? <clears throat> someone gives a large amount of money and then someone will go, oh, they've given a generous gift or they're very generous. Well, you don't actually know whether they're generous or not because they may actually have so much money that the amount of money that they gave was actually not that much. It really wasn't generous on the scale of how much they have. It was just generous because it was more than what you could ever afford to give, Right? And so we'll, we'll often, we'll often uh, label something as generous, even though we're not sure that they were actually generous. It's just that there's a difference between giving versus generosity. And I'm going to give you a, a quick warning here. You know, usually we try to give you uh, teachings that are going to motivate you and encourage you. And I believe it's going to encourage you if you're naturally a generous person. But if you're not naturally a generous person, you might actually find some of this teaching today because I'm going to talk about what generous people do. And I'm not looking to try and make you feel guilty or convicted because that's not a motivation that people usually respond to. I want you to take it as a way of looking at yourself and saying, do I want to become that person or am I satisfied with where I'm at? Because I bet that most of you are actually givers, right? You can give, you give to the guy in the, on the street that's homeless and hungry. You'll, you'll give to charity, maybe at Christmas time or to Salvation Army. You give your clothes away. You give to your neighbors by inviting them over for dinner. You, you, you know, there's, other way, there's many ways that we actually give, but are you actually at the level of generosity? What's the difference between the two? Here's the difference that I see. Giving is what you do, but generosity is who you are. Generous is who you are, but giving is something that you actually do. Let me try and prove this. We're going to prove this by looking at a scripture this morning, and we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. And as Jesus is out with his buddies, out with his disciples, and he's, he's in the temple, and he sees people who are actually giving to the temple. And we pick it up in verse one. It says, and he, Jesus, looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. Let's just stop there. What does it mean into the treasury? Well, in the temple, it was a lot like a church in those days. And they would, people would, they would, would put their, their offerings or their gifts, their money into the treasury trusting that that money would not only be used to actually support you know, what, what actually creates the community, the buildings that help to create the community, but the money would be used to feed the widows and the poor and, and the, the orphans. It would be used for something good. And so they took them their gifts and they put it into the treasury. And Jesus saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. What's two mites? Two mites are not the ticks that you pull off yourself or the bugs that sometimes are on your dogs, but, but two mites are basically two tiny coins and I actually have a couple of those coins. I wish I brought them. They're only worth maybe about 25 cents, the equivalent of 25 cents or maybe even as much as a dollar in those days. But this poor widow put two mites into the treasury. Verse three, so he said, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put more than all of all these rich people. 
for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. Do you see the difference there? They had given out of whatever they had left over, but she had given everything she had into the offering. Even though two mites were probably significantly and substantially less than what the rich people had actually put into the offering too. And I believe that Jesus was pointing this out because he was pointing out her generosity, not the value or the amount of money that she put in. Because God doesn't actually need our money when it comes to it. God could do whatever he wants. He's got plenty of money to do the things that he wants to do. He's got plenty of resources, but he does this in order to, to, find, to, to create two different things. To number one, to create relationship between us and him. And number two, for us to learn what it is to experience the joy of giving, to experience the joy of generosity, to experience what it is to receive from God and to give to other people as well. So I want to suggest five different things that generous people do, generous people ask, generous people are in order to be generous. And here's the first one. The first one is this. Generous people don't wait until they have money left over. Just like that widow, it says that she gave out of her poverty all the livelihood that she had. I believe there's something that connects us all. Everybody in the world. And what connects us all is the plans that we have if we won the lottery next week. Am I right? Right? If you play the lottery next week and you won a million dollars and it comes up, your, your numbers come up on the TV and you jump off the couch, you're like, I won a million dollars, right? You'd be really excited that you won a million dollars. And I bet that most of you have already dreamed about what you would do with that million dollars. Does anyone want to confess to that, that you have already got a plan in your head? All right, there's five honest people. The rest of you are liars this morning. We all know that we have an idea of what we would do with that amount of money. I mean, it would probably go something like this. I mean, if you're a Christian, maybe you would tithe, right? If you're not a Christian and not a part of a church, then maybe you won't tithe. But let's say you have tithe. You're given, that's, that's the 10% that, that usually churches operate on, that you take 10% of your income and give it to church for, for the work of the, of the kingdom and the community, right? So let's take 10% off. That takes us down to $900,000, right? Because that's 10%, 100,000, 900,000. Okay, so the average house has maybe got about $250,000 left of debt on it. So let's take that off. So we'll pay our houses off. So that I'll take us down to 650, is that right? 650, you could really do with a nice car, am I right? You could do a nice car, maybe squeeze in a little vacation there. Let's take 50,000 off. Where are we at? Where are we at? What number are we at? 600,000, see, you're following so far. It's the best attention I've ever gotten from an audience. So 600,000, right? Now you've got two children, right? Two children um, and, and, and education is probably about 50,000. So 50, another 100,000, that takes us down to 500,000. So we've got 500,000 left over. What would we do with the rest? All right, well, what we could do is we've got 10 in-laws and outlaws at the same time in our family. Well, maybe be generous with them. Give them a $10,000 each, right? Because that's how generous you are. And, and that'll take us down another $1,000. So now we're at four hundred thousand dollars and then I'm thinking well maybe what we can do is we'll we'll beef up our retirement plan we'll take quarter of a million dollars two hundred fifty thousand put that in the bank don't touch that not be for retirement take that off what are we at four hundred was it four hundred thousand now we're at a hundred and fifty thousand dollars left over right now we're thinking, yeah, but what I'll do is I'll take 50,000, I'll put it in an emergency fund just in case I need it, right? So put that. Now you're at $100,000 left over. Has anybody ever thought that way? Come on. Yeah? 
You have, haven't you? Everybody's got a plan for what they would do with a million dollars. But see, here's the thing. Givers say this. They say, when I have money, I will give. Now, I've got news for you. If you're not generous now, you're not going to do it when you have a million dollars. Because generosity is about who you are. It's not about what you give. Generosity is your attitude. It's, your, it's, it's, your, it's your, the atmosphere that you create. It's your perspective on life. You see, money doesn't change your behavior. It magnifies who you already are. So if you're not already generous with what you have, and when, when, when I'm only talking about money right now, I believe there's, there's three ways that we choose to give as Christians. That's your time, your talent, and your treasure. That's your time, your talent, and your treasure. Your time is obviously self-explanatory. That's your giving of yourself to other people, giving your time. Your talent is your skills. It's your giftings. It's your abilities that, that you have above and beyond what anyone else has. And of course, your, your treasure is your money. Now, with Crystal and I, we believe that two out of three is not good enough when it comes to generosity. Two out of three, if I give my time and my talent, but I don't give any money away, that's not good enough for me. Or maybe I'm very good at giving money away, but I won't give any of my time, any of my precious time to anybody else. That's not good enough for us in our household. We believe that two or three, two out of three is not good enough. If I took you today and I was able to take you into that uh, DeLorean car from Back to the Future, right? And we were able to fly through space with a crazy doctor. What was his name? Can't remember. And we were able to fly through space into, into, the, into the past, right? And we'll take you 20 years from now. Let's say you're 40 today. So we're going to take you when you're 20 years old. And we introduce yourself. Your 20-year-old would look at you and say, boy, you put on some weight. I'm kidding. Okay. So your 20-year-old would look at you and they would say, you make how much money? Yeah, this is how much money I make today. Wow. Your 20-year-old version would say, you're rich. But most of us in life don't actually think we're rich. We don't actually think we're wealthy. We're still worrying about, do I make enough money? Do I have enough to pay off my bills? Do I have enough for the future? We're still worrying about what we don't have. And yet, in the eyes of your 20-year-old version, you're very rich. So if you follow the philosophy of when I have money, I'll give, you've already proven that you're not, if you're not as more generous as you are today than you were back then, it's proven that it's who you are, it's not what you actually give. Are you following me so far? So what do generous people say? Generous people say, I'm going to give now. Years ago, when I was about 15 or 16 years old, my, uh, my family started up a business. We were already pastors and we were running a church, etc. But we started up another business and it was a tanning bed business, right? You, you, you're probably wondering why was I in a tanning bed business company, right? I, used to, I actually used to remember when I would take tanning beds and I would take it up to people's doors who had ordered them to rent them. And I would take them up and they would look me up and down and go, you're not very tan. I'm like, oh, well, you know, I, said, I don't really have time to use them. I'm just so busy right now. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't want cancer like you do, right? Okay, so... So, so anyway, I've taken these tanning beds. But the reason we actually ran the business was twofold. It was actually to pay for my parents' car. And it was also to raise money for charity. It was to raise money for missionaries that we wanted to support on the mission field in third world countries. 
So I'm grateful to my parents that they taught me how to be generous as a child so it's not something I had to struggle with when I became an adult. Generosity is something that we should be teaching our children to do. And if you don't do it with your children now, they're gonna struggle with it when they become adults. Here's the second thing that generous people do. Generous people are stewards and not owners. Generous people are stewards and not owners. There's a phrase called the assumption of consumption. That is the assuming that everything that comes into your hands, you have the right to actually do with it what you want simply because you believe that everything that comes to you, you own. People who are givers believe that what they have, they own it. It's mine. I do with it what I want. I remember when I first came here to America, and uh, this is about over 20 years ago, I remember seeing, um, uh, what do they call them? Uh, Storage units. You ever heard of storage units? They're everywhere. I had never seen a storage unit in my life, right? In, in Scotland, we just don't have storage units. We don't have enough money to buy that much stuff. And I remember Pastor Mark telling me, yeah, those are storage units. I'm like, what are they for? Are they for businesses? And he's like, well, yeah, but it's mostly for people's stuff. And I'm like, people's stuff? But people have big, like, double-wide garages. They have big houses. And they're like, yeah, that's not enough space for them. They're like, What? My mind was blowing. How much stuff do they have that they can't fit it in their garage? Are you kidding me? Or sorry, garage, right? Oh my gosh. So now they have to get a storage unit. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, unless you want to feel guilty, right? But how much stuff do they have? You're like, oh. And then they've made a TV show out of storage units. Have you seen it? Is it called Storage Wars? And people who haven't paid for their stories and then people fight over it and bid over it. And they'll start bidding over that stuff. And I'm like, you're kidding me. They've lost the stuff that they were trying to keep. It's amazing. That's what I believe that people actually think that they own that stuff, but they don't actually own this stuff. See, generous people, they ask this, Father, what do you want me to do with your money, with your stuff? Generous people don't look at the stuff that they have in their life as something that they own or actually belongs to them. I was at a funeral recently of a grandfather of, of, uh, of someone that's in our church. And, and one of the things that always strikes me about when I go to funerals is that there is nothing that they take with them. Even if you put keepsakes in their, in their coffin or, or, or something to send with them, it's going to end up the exact same way as we have when we find Pharaoh's sarcophagus, right? You know, the, 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 yeah, those things where you have stuff, right? And they're like, we'll, take, we'll make all these golden statues and we'll send it with those kings, Tutankhamun, into the next life so it'll serve them. Listen, you came in your birthday suit, you're gonna leave in your birthday suit. There's nothing that we take with us because we own nothing. In fact, Jesus was telling a story to his disciples. He's like, I wanna tell you a story about a really rich man who had a super successful business as a farmer and he had all these fields and he had so much that came into him and he had so much uh, uh, fruit that year that he actually, his barns couldn't keep it all. So he said, tear down the barns, build new ones, take all the grain that I've gotten from the harvest and put it into the new barns. And then Jesus said this, he said, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is in Luke chapter 12. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Now what's the difference there? It said, it didn't say, this is what it will be like for those who are 
stored up lots of stuff for themselves. That wasn't the end of the sentence. It was for those who have stored up for themselves and are not rich towards God. Does that mean that God needs money? No. God's not looking for our money. He's looking for you to be a conduit to make his money be put to work in the places of the world and in our communities where it is most needed. That's what generous people do. Number three, generous people prioritize giving. Generous people prioritize giving. Here's what givers do when money comes to them. Let me, let, let, see, if this, see if you can identify yourself in this. This is very common, right? Don't feel too guilty about it unless you want to feel a little bit of guilt about it. But here's how, here's how givers usually operate. They operate like this. They consume it, they save it if I can, and then they give whatever's left over. They consume it, they save what they can, and then they give whatever's left over. That's a very common way that we operate. I mean, I mean, it's hard to not consume it when you really have that one-click button on Amazon, right? Am I, am I anyone with me on that? That is a curse right there. You know, when you need one small bolt or one tiny cable and you have to drive all the way down to Harbor Freight or something to get it, there's an effort that it takes. And there's a point where you go, do I really need it that much, right? But, but when there's one click on Amazon, then you end up being like my household where you get a box every other day from Amazon, am I right? And you're like, this is a curse. This is an addiction. You're constantly getting stuff all the time because we have this mindset that it's ours to consume. So we consume it because that's the culture we live in. Then we try and save if I can. You know, the statistics for how many people have enough money in their savings is really bad. I mean, if I was gonna ask you, do you think you're on track with the amount of savings that you need in order to pay off your debt and in order to be able to prepare for the future when you're old? I would say there's very few hands that would go up. The only person I can think of is Micah McCubbin, right? Because he's that type of guy, right? There's very few of us actually save well. And then when it comes to actually giving, we're only giving out of what's left over. But generous people don't work that way. Generous people know that God will supply all their needs. So they don't have this conflict inside of themselves of, yeah, but what if I don't have enough? What, what, if, I, what if I can't pay my bills? What if I'm not able to you know, lay up for the future? What if I'm not, now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't save and I'm not saying you shouldn't provide for your family. I'm just saying if all your mind is at is in a place of fear or panic or worry that you're not making enough and you don't have enough and you've got to work harder and work harder, what you'll find is that most of your money is actually being stolen by things that you've convinced yourself that you need, when it's actually things that you want. But generous people think differently. They believe that God will supply all their needs, that whatever they need, God will provide it for them. When I first came to America years ago, I was about 23 years old, and I came <clears throat> to actually work for this church. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, as I was there, and after about a year, I felt God impressing on my heart, give your car away. I had a car back in Scotland. It was one of these cool cars that had the stripes on the side that make it go faster, right? It was a cool car. I loved it. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it was my first real car. And you know, when you're young, your car really defines who you are. And it was super, super cool. Didn't really go that fast, but I thought it was cool because I had a spoiler at the back as well and fancy wheels. And, and, and I felt God say, give your car away. And I fought him tooth and nail. And I was like, get behind me, Satan, in the name of Jesus. This car, is this is, this is, this is from God. This is a Jesus thing right here. 
And, um, and so I, I felt this urge and I felt the pressure and I knew that God was telling me, give your car away. And I'm like, but God, I'm going to go back to Scotland anyway. I might as well have a car there waiting for me. And, and, and it's not like he told me to sell it and take the money and keep it and then just buy another one later when I got there. No, no, he said, give it away entirely. And so I told my mom to give my car away. And soon after, there was actually a family in our church and, and uh, it was a husband and a wife and they had uh, three or four children, I can't remember exactly. And I'll never, I'll never forget her name was Sonia. And I grew up with her and I knew she was always a disturbed type of person. She had a very horrific you know, upbringing in her childhood. And she got to the place where she had so much uh, depression and so much uh, anxiousness in her life that she decided to commit suicide. <clears throat> and the way she did it was she took a, a can of gas and she drove down in the family car down to the river, poured it over herself, and she killed herself by setting herself alight. And I remember my mom telling me, I've decided to give your car to that family because they no longer have their car. And I felt so guilty. I felt so guilty because I could have done something willingly, could have done something good willingly, but I didn't. I only gave it because I went, I went kicking and screaming against God. I'm like, no, you need to do this. This is my car. And that's really the way I was acting. And so even my generosity, even my generosity wasn't generosity. I was only giving out of obedience, but not with a good heart or not with a good attitude. And so it really wasn't generosity. Now in my life, Crystal and I have given away about three cars. One of the cars we gave to uh, someone who we felt we, sh we should help them as a young guy and we wanted to support him. He's, he, he wasn't doing well with his family and he needed, a, he needed a car for his job in order to be able to survive. And we're like, well, listen, we're gonna give you our car and we're gonna live off of one car together. And of course, he was very grateful for that and we felt God led us to do it, so we gave that car. A couple of weeks later, I saw the car coming by and I looked at it and it was a mess. It had dents in it and it was scratched up and he had a big long piece of wood that was inside the car and he slammed the brakes on too hard and then it smashed up against the windshield and it was all cracked and he had trash inside of it and something inside of me said, he doesn't deserve that car. And I realized then that I was giving based on what the results were gonna be for, 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 for gratitude towards me. I was gonna to give to someone who's gonna be grateful for what I'd given them. I was gonna give simply because it was going to do something great and it was gonna somehow magnify me. But the fact is generous people don't give because it's good for them. They give because they want to say thank you to God. They want to do it because it pleases their father. There's nothing more enjoyable in a father or a mother's life than when you see your children becoming generous. When your children have some money and decide that they're gonna share it with their cousin or with their friend. When your children decide that they're not gonna take their time and use it only for themselves to play games, but they're actually going to say, Father, can I help you clean the house? Can I help you do this job? Can I help you do what you're gonna do? That's what fulfills a joy within a parent's heart. Am I right on that? And let me tell you, when you're a child and you help your parent, you see the joy that is in them, you feel the glow of their joy upon yourself. You feel fulfilled. The fourth thing that I believe that generous people do is that generous people are calculated and disciplined. You see, givers give out of circumstance or emotion. That is that you actually need a sad story or you need a bell ringer at the front of Walmart at Christmas time to remind you that maybe to give to people who are in need. Or maybe you need to be a fundraiser in order to be able to give. It's not that that's a bad thing, but sometimes I find that when people are asking money from you, you can often give out of 
guilt or condemnation. Those are giving out of circumstantial emotions. What if you stop feeling guilty? Are you going to stop giving? Do you stop being generous? Have you ever gotten out to a traffic light and you know, this is a very common thing that seems to be happening now and you'll see someone that has a card that says homeless and hungry and, and, and they'll have the card there and, and of course they always look like they're homeless and hungry and when you drive up, do you, you put your window down and give them money and then feel good about yourself or do you keep the window up and justify why you shouldn't give them money? I'm not here to tell you whether you're right or wrong but there's one thing that I've always noticed is that when you have two lanes that are about to turn, two lanes, and the person is in the middle of the road with their, with their little sign saying homeless and hungry, I always find when I drive up to that junction, all the cars are in the lane that are furthest away from the homeless person. Why? Because they hate feeling guilty. They hate feeling bad about themselves. They hate saying no to someone else. But that's when you know you're a giver from circumstance. But generous people, generous people ask this, Father, where should these resources be placed? Where do you want me to take your money and where do you want me to place it? And when you're already placing your money with an aforethought, with a calculation, you start to lose that guilt or condemnation that you're not a giver because you know you're generous. You can't give all your money away, but there's a certain amount that God has always assigned that you should give away. There's a certain amount of your time, your talent, and your treasure that are meant to be given for the blessing of other people. As a church, whether you know it or not, when you give consistently to this church, we give to many outlets. We give to the Choices Clinic for a pregnancy crisis. We give to the Lovely Project for working with young girls. We give to IGM that fights against human trafficking. We give to India and that I'll be going to uh, next week uh, to help orphanages out there. We give to the pantry that actually helps, you know, when people are struggling with food. We give to Jobs Partnership that helps people to get into better jobs. We give to Koinonia, which is the Strombeck seniors that are planting churches in, in uh, Ukraine behind the Iron Curtain years ago. And we even give to the benevolence. We, that's all entities that we are giving. We have sat down as a church, as leadership has said, where are we going to give some of this money away to? It's a calculation. And here's the power and the importance of having a calculation and a discipline. And it's this, listen now. It saves you from the guilt of saying no. You see, sometimes when someone comes to ask me for money or a charity says, hey, can you donate to this? I often say, all my charity dollars are already pre-assigned. They're already calculated and given away already. You don't have to feel guilty by saying no. But if you say no and you feel guilty or you feel angry, that's when you know you're struggling with the concept of generosity. Here's the last one, number five. Generous people are truly happy. Acts 20 verse 35 uh, it has a phenomenal phrase that is actually a phrase that I believe that most of us have only heard our mothers say during Christmas or during birthday or something like that. And most of us think it's actually a pithy phrase. But it was actually St. Paul who was quoting Jesus and he was in the city of Ephesus and he was about to leave them and he said, listen, I'm about to leave you all and I know that I'm going back to Jerusalem and I'm probably gonna be persecuted there and there's a good chance I'm gonna die. This is the last time, brothers, that I'm gonna see you. And the last thing I want to say to you, the last thing that I want you to remember, this is of prime importance to me, that's so important to me that this is the last thing I want to be stuck inside of your head and this is it. And this is the words of Jesus. He said this, it's more blessed 
to give than to receive. Most of us probably didn't know that that was actually spoken by Jesus. You see, the word blessed doesn't mean some uh, transcendental, uh, uh, godly glowing that you feel or something like that. No, it's not, it's not glorifying. It's more happy to give than to receive. And I made this connection years ago that if I truly want joy in my life, if I want to get rid of depression, if I want to stop worrying in life, the best way to do it is get rid of all the stuff that I don't actually need or even get rid of the things that are making me worry. Just give it away. The Red Hot Chili Peppers were right when they said that. They said, give it away, give it away now. We know fine well, and statistics bear this out, that we now have more depressed people in culture. We have more lonely people, even though we're more digitally connected than ever before. We have more lonely and we have more depressed people in culture than we've ever had. The, the medication that is now being handed out to fight and combat depression is at record levels in our culture. Listen, it's because we're not happy with ourselves. And yet we are one-clicking our way through Amazon every other day. We are constantly getting new stuff. We're constantly trying to get new stuff. We're trying, trying to constantly keep our stuff when the fact is the joy is not when you get it. The joy is when you give it away. Now, I would have argued with that when I was about five years old at Christmas time. I mean, no, 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 the joy is getting, please. I want more gifts, I want more Christmas gifts because that's what kids get excited by that. But once you become an adult, you realize that none of that stuff is truly going to fulfill you. It's the joy of giving what you have away. And I believe that there are some people probably in our church right now that are happier than the average person in this church. And they're the ones who have truly given everything in their heart away. And I'll tell you those people are. They're the people who've actually adopted children. Is there anyone that's adopted children here? Let me see. You've adopted children. You guys have adopted children. I believe you guys have discovered what joy really is. I think you've found a place that when you, when, you, when you found that child and you took that child in, the joy of being a father or a, or a mother and giving everything you had to that child, that truly fulfills everything in your heart. Am I right? Isn't it true? Everything. It doesn't matter how much money. It doesn't matter how much stuff you get. It doesn't matter how much glory you get, how much fame you get. It doesn't matter all that stuff. None of it matters except that one child. That's you giving everything you've got to one person. That's the ultimate level of joy. That's the ultimate level of being blessed. That's the ultimate level of generosity. Let me tell you, I believe that every one of us as Christians, we can take next steps. We can take next steps to find out what the generous know and they know where real contentment comes from and that is the joy of just giving your time, your talent and your treasure to other people. And if you're going to a group this week or you're part of, of this church, here are some questions I want you to look at this week. I want you to consider, am I really someone who has the right expectations? Where's my ownership with what I have? What are one of my priorities? Are they in the right order? What about my discipline? Am I a consistent giver or am I a sporadic giver, only giving every now and again, here, there, everywhere? Or am I consistent in what I give? One of the things that Crystal had told me 
She works for IGM that, f that fights human trafficking. She says the only reason why IGM is able to consistently do the work that they do is not because of one-time big givers, even though they're important. It's because of people who consistently choose to give every month to fight human trafficking. Here's the cool thing. You literally could give $25 away to fighting human trafficking once a month and you can feel the joy that comes, the fruitfulness that comes from the fact that you just gave one small amount. Let me tell you, if you remind yourself of those things, when you see what it does for you, you feel that joy once again. I was a part of that rescue. I was a part of changing that person's life. That's what generosity is about. That's where real joy comes from. So today I wanna to put a challenge in front of you. Can you take it to the next level? Can you decide to re-examine where your generosity is? Because I believe that God has called us to greater things in this church. I believe he's called you to something significant. I believe he's designed your life to make a difference in this world because your life is very short compared to what you think it is. Your life could be taken tomorrow. What is your legacy going to be? What are you gonna leave in this life? Will people remember you as a generous person? Or will you remember you as someone that's not as generous as we hoped you would be? I wanna be known as a generous person. What about you? Today, I wanna give you one opportunity for that. And this is not me holding a, a sign on the side of the road saying, please give to this, right? This is truly an opportunity. If you want to do it, if you don't want to do it, it's totally up to you. But Phil and I are going to India next week. And how cool would it be if you sent some of your money as an investment to those orphanages out there, to change someone's life out there, to change a family's life, to change a child who has been abandoned out there. And if you wanna be a part of it, you can go on our website or there's even a box at the back if you wanna put, uh, put it in the envelope, put it in the box at the front door right beside the TV screen. Or you can go on our website, northwestorlando.com, click the word give and you'll see the India fund there and you can give there. Again, if you don't think God's leading you to do it, don't do it. That's not, that's not what we're trying to do here. But if you want to be a part of it, let's do something significant in this life and change someone else's life. Are you with me? Let's all stand today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your treasure. We thank you, Lord, that you, you challenge us with, with stories from the, from the, from the Bible. We, you challenge us to, to, to up our game as Christians, to up our game as leaving a legacy in this life, to up our game to, to make a difference in this life. That's where our, our transcendence of our purpose gets to going beyond ourselves, doing something greater. And Father, we wanna capture that vision. We don't wanna just be known as people that are living a routine nine to five life of work, rest and play and do things just for ourselves. We wanna build houses and lives that say welcome to other people. We wanna build lives that say, we want you to be a part of what we've got. We wanna be generous because we wanna feel the joy of the Father. And we pray that you'd fill us up with your spirit and your precious son's name. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Why don't we give a great round of applause to our Father? Come on, give me your best offering.